Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and 17. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. This is the word of God. You can be seated. So we are continuing this series as we look at the Apostles' Creed. Have you guys been enjoying this so far? Good. Good. And this week, we are looking at this, this phrase, the creator of heaven and earth. And when you, as I was thinking and prepping this week and thinking through this topic, um, I was thinking about art. And when you are thinking about creation and, and makers, creators, artists, When you look at a piece of artwork, if you go to a gallery or something, which, are those things still exist post-COVID? You see something about the artist when you look at the piece of art. Or music, if you you listen to a piece of music, you, you get a picture into the artist behind that music. You get a glimpse into who they are. We see this with our kids, right? How many, how many of you guys have kids? The little artists? We have, we have five, and they are all incredibly unique. And you can tell uh, the way, you can tell something about their personality by looking at their artwork. Even the little ones, four-year-old, and you can see the way that they draw things. You can see something about who they are in the way that they draw, their personality, their style, what they're interested in. I think it was recently there was Refuge Kids Instagram posted a, a thing, and uh, <laughs> Levi, I think, drew himself as a ninja turtle. All right. They are all unique. They are all, um, yeah, unique. And you, you get a picture, you get a glimpse into who they are by what they create, right? The same thing is true about God, our creator. When we look at creation, we get a glimpse into who God is. When we look at the things that God has created, we can see a bit a picture of who he is and what he's like. Psalms 19, verse 1, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night 
reveals knowledge. Or Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made. So they are without excuse. Creation testifies of God's glory. Creation shows us a picture of God's nature, of who he is, of things like his eternal power, his divine nature. Those are big concepts. And Paul in Romans is saying, you get a clear picture of these big theological concepts, the divine nature of God, just by looking at the things that he's created. So as we continue through this series, looking at the Apostles' Creed, let's remember what a creed is, or what it should be. A creed is a set of beliefs or aims that guide your actions. The Apostles' Creed for us is a set of core, agreed-upon beliefs that we have, we have uh, united around as the Christian church for thousands of years that are, is intended to guide the way we live. It's not enough just to, to um, say you believe these things. These should actually affect the way you live. So when we come to our phrase this morning... Let's rehash a little bit about where we've been. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This morning, we're going to look specifically at that phrase, creator. And I think there's three implications that we're going to touch on. Three things, three points, if you're taking notes, that I think this section of the creed does. I think it corrects our understanding or directs our understanding of who God is. It, number two, it guides how we should perceive the world. And number three, it corrects the way we view ourselves. So this first one, our understanding of God. The historic Christian faith is one that believes in God, right? I believe in God, but not just any God. It wouldn't do to simply say that we believe in God. Okay, what God? Why? What has he done? James in the New Testament actually says, okay, you believe in God, that's good. Even the demons do that. No, our God is the Father Almighty. He's an all-powerful, loving Father that through His Son has made a way and adopted us into His family. Our God is not just some abstract deity. This is a loving Father. But not just that. The Apostles' Creed, in agreement, I think, with all of Scripture, it further clarifies who this God is. He is the Creator God. 
the creator of heaven and earth. This statement has massive, massive implications. For us, it's not enough to just know about God or who he is theoretically. God is not an abstract idea. He's not a philosophy. Those things are important. But Christianity has always been, the Christian faith has always been concerned about what God does. He's a God of action. He is a God of power, of mercy, of patience. Those things that are manifested in creative, preservative, redemptive, creative activities. God's essence, who he is, is best viewed by the outworking of his effort, what he has done, and what he is currently doing. That's the point. The activity of God in and through the created world. God is best known by what he does. And our best picture, the best way we have to see who God is, is in the person and work of Jesus. That's why that that passage in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, he is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God made manifest. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him, this is is huge, all things are held together. In Jesus, we see the work of the Father. We see the creative potential of the Father in his work of bringing about the new heavens and the new earth and the new, new kingdom people, new kingdom community that we are as the church. Our God is the creator God, and he is still at work in creation. I didn't want this morning to get spend too much time or or much time at all, really, getting into the debate around creation. There are lots of them. Uh, We're not going to talk about evolution or creation or anything this morning. If you are into that stuff, by all means, this week, have coffee with somebody and talk through Genesis 1 through 3. It's fun. But for our purpose this morning, I feel like it misses the point. The point here is when we declare that our God, every Sunday as we declare that our God is the creator of heaven and earth, what we are saying is that he is in a class unto himself. There is no one like him. He stands alone in this class. This is the definition of the word holy, is that he is other than. He's completely set apart. There's no one like him because he is the creator of heaven and earth. Everything that exists finds its origin in our God. There are massive chunks of scripture as you study this topic, as you think about this, that 
its entire focus is praising God for creation. A couple that come to mind is Psalms 104, basically the entire psalm. But I'm going to read a, a portion of this for us, for us this morning. Starting in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beam of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. This whole psalm is praising God for his creative power. Or one of my favorite Old Testament sections, at the end of Job, Job is one of those books, right, that <laughs> Job's having a hard time, needless to say, uh, to say the least. He, he, the end of Job, Job is sort of, I would say Job's frustrated. And uh, his friends are not helping the matter. They're actually kind of instigating. And you come to this section, this last section of Job, starting in chapter 38, where God responds. He responds to Job. And how does God respond? What does God use? Let's read this. Job 38, starting in verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens the counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who has stretched a line upon it? For me, this is a go-to passage. <laughs> when I start feeling like I'm more important than I am. <laughs> when I start getting frustrated, when things aren't going my way, when things are, uh, you know, falling apart in front of me, I go to this passage and I find comfort just like I think Job did and like was the intention in the fact that God is way bigger, way more in control than we give him credit for or that we think about. He is the creator of heaven and earth. We are his creation. But he made us in his image. But if we're honest, we tend to think of him in our image. We flip it. And we tend to think of him just like one of us, cranky and off-put. But he's the creator. He's unmoved. Nothing is impossible for him. He lacks no ability. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's in a class unto his own. He is the creator God. And if God is the creator, then he has everything he needs to accomplish his will. 
He lacks nothing. And if God is the creator and he made everything for our good and for his glory, then we can trust that in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his creative power, that he knows what he is doing. And we can rest in confidence of who he is. Second point here. This statement, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth shows us how we should look at the world. How do we think about the world? This creedal statement, it guides how we view God's creation. This was massively important, and probably part of the reason this was in the creed was when when the creed was being written, the popular worldview, the popular philosophy was very predominantly pessimistic towards creation. The popular thinkers of the day said essentially that the physical world, everything you can touch, feel, smell, engage with your senses, is inherently evil. And it's irredeemable. And that what we need is to escape this tangible realm to some ethereal spiritual realm and achieve some some sort of spiritual enlightenment. That was the prevailing philosophy of the day. And it invaded the church with with, um, some key heresies, Marcion, Gnosticism. These things were prevalent in the early, early days of the church. This dualist worldview, I would say, has crept into our Western church, even the way that we in the church think. Most of our popular conceptions of the afterlife fall right into this philosophy, some sort of separation from the physical living in an ethereal heaven that's Clouds and harps and stuff. That comes right back to this early philosophy. But right from the start, the Christian faith, this creed that we're discussing, has been marked by a positive outlook on creation. Positive stance towards the created world. Our God is the creator God. The creator not just of the heavens, but of the earth. And everything that he made is good. Everything that he made was good. And if everything God made is good, what do you do with evil? What do you do with the existence and the presence of evil? And that ultimately is what led to all of that dualist philosophy is that how do you reconcile the problem of evil? Still the questions people are wrestling with today, right? How do we deal with evil? If we believe that creation is the handiwork of a good father, 
a loving father, not, a, not an abstract being, but of a loving father who cares for us and made everything good for us. It's kind of like, use some analogies here, it's like a guitar, properly built guitar. That's a Martin, that's a good guitar. There's nothing inherently bad about this guitar. It's, it's a dreadnought, but there's nothing inherently bad about it. <coughs> um, but it can play a bad chord, right? It can, it can make off-putting sounds. The early church used to use the analogy or, or use the analogy of, of light. They would say, evil is the absence of God's goodness, very much the way Darkness is the absence of God's light, of light. I found this, this quote this week and it stood out to me. Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century, he said, If a man in broad daylight freely chooses to close his eyes, it is not the sun's fault when he fails to see. Creation is inherently good. It's been corrupted by the powers of sin and, and, and uh, sinful people. It's bad chords being played on a good instrument. We are to view, this, as Christians, as I believe this creedal statement, we are to view the earth and the heavens, all of it, as God's good work. And we have been given to care for and to cultivate when God gave the original mandate to the original humans back way back in Genesis, that was the command, that was the commission. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is best understood as to cultivate and to care for, to take the raw creative potential that God put in the earth and to use it for his glory. We're to care for this earth. We should be concerned with the well-being of the earth, preservation and the cultivation of its innate beauty for God's glory. I honestly, as a person who loves the outdoors, I don't see how you could come to any other conclusion if you've seen the beauty and the majesty of who God is through his creation. I have sat on summits of mountains and looked over what seems like endless wilderness and seen God's glory. I've held trout in the back streams with colors that would blow your mind. You've hiked, or we've, we live amongst these redwoods, we've hiked amongst these trees that are like skyscrapers. You've seen sunsets that can and should bring tears to your eyes. All of this exists. It's purpose, guys. We live in a beautiful state, by the way. 
Get out and explore it. All of that exists to give glory to God and for your good, for you to experience beauty that would lead you and guide you to worship this creator God. This is God's world, and we are to be stewards. Ultimately, we'll be answerable, I believe, for how we facilitate and use God's creation. 1 Timothy 4, verse 4, says, Everything, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. We serve a God, and we serve God by enjoying these temporal things that he created gratefully, with thanksgiving, with a sense of value for him as the creator, the author, and the giver. That is an act of worship when we do that. And finally, God is the creator of heaven and earth. It corrects the way we view ourselves. We are not our own maker, nor are you the result of a freak accident or chance. We are not our own master, but we have a God who is intimately involved in who you are. We serve the creator. God made us for himself. He made us to bring glory to him, to serve him here and now. This, again, is, I believe, the reason for those great proclamations throughout Scripture of God's work of creation. It puts into perspective who we are. But this is not just about a humbling realization that you are the pot and he is the, you are the clay and he is the potter. I think there's also something beautiful and glorifying in this. If God is the creator and he made us unique and in his image, then I think we have the ability, scripture I think testifies, we have the ability to be a creative force on this earth. The church, this is what we are, we are the redeemed people of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, sent out into the world to live as a new creation people. We should be, this, the people of God, people of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, should be the most creative community on earth. We should be challenging the status quo and pushing things forward because that's what gives glory to God. We have, as disciples of Jesus, we have fellowship 
communion with the God of creation. You can spend time with the God who created Yosemite. (laughs) We have the mind of Christ, the New Testament tells us. That's glorious, guys. When we view our vocation, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's um, stay-at-home mom or you work um, in business or, or whatever you do, when you view your vocation as partnership with the Creator God, as coming alongside the Creator who upholds all things, Everything you do is worship, can be worship. Everything you do can be partnership with him, can be co-creating along with him. It all matters. It's all important. I'm going to wrap up here, but I want to leave us this week with this passage out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. So this week, take some time. I just want to encourage you. Take some time. Go on a hike. Whatever. Go to the, go to the coast. Take some time and think about whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable. Think about God's good creation and the very implications that has on you as a new creation person, as, and us as a new creation community. Worship him and live out a spirit-filled, creative life in community. Amen? Let's pray and the worshiping can come up. Father, we thank you that you are not just an abstract, distant deity, but you are a loving Father. You're the Father Almighty. You are all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing. That you are the creator of heaven and earth. That you are in a class unto your own. There is no one like you. You are the definition of holy. God, I pray that as a community of the new creation, as a colony of heaven on earth, that we would give you glory through the things that we do, through the everyday tasks, that we would see it all as partnership with you as the creator God, and that we would live for your glory in all that we do. Jesus, we bless you and we love you. Amen.